Let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you so much that we have a testimony, that we have a story, and that we have a song. Father, may that story, song, and testimony be what you have done rather than what we've done. May it be about our great God and Savior, Jesus, who has forgiven us of all of our sins. Father, we thank you that we can sing that. We thank you, God, for Sunday mornings where we're gathered here. And Father, we're hungry. It's almost lunchtime, and we're looking toward lunch, whatever that might be. But in a a very real way, spiritually speaking, we're hungry. And we want to hear the truth and be fed by your word that we live by. And so we ask, God, that you would help us, teach us, and grow us, and give us ears to hear and eyes to see, God. Give us understanding. Increase our faith now according to your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Philemon, it's page 1098 if you want to use a pew Bible there, page 1098 if you want to use the black pew Bible there. Page. We've been in it now for three weeks. We're just about finished with it. So small that there aren't even chapters. There are just verses. It is the last book written by Paul in his 13 letters in the New Testament. After Philemon starts the book of Hebrews. And before Philemon you have Titus. But that's where we're at, Philemon. It's a great, great story. Two weeks ago I preached that uh, the book of Philemon is a story. It is a story. It's not a very long one. But it's got some nice turnings in it. Uh, you got the main characters, and you know the different people, and you know the drama, and you know the, the problem, and you know what happens, and God is working in it. And I told you that God is in the midst of our stories, and your life is a story as well. And I told you then, two weeks ago, that God writes your story through four things. He writes your story through people. He writes your story through places. He's writing your story through your pains. And he writes your story with his providence with his master plan and hand behind every bit of it, the ups and the downs, the parts that you see crystal clear and the parts that are still you're trying to understand. He is there and he is working. And hopefully you are finding your story in the place of God's big story. Well, last week I looked at this word that's in the book of Philemon, refreshing. And this is a good one for Christians to hear. It's a good one for church people to hear because so often we are not fresh We're not fresh, and we need to be refreshed, and that's what we have coming up in the book of Philemon. And I told you last week that there needs to be a fresh church, but there's really no such thing as a fresh church. A fresh church is really a refreshed church, and you stay fresh when you are constantly being refreshed. But that begs the question, how do you get that, or where do you find that? And so we need to find something that is refreshing. And may it be that God has put refreshing people in your life. And may that refreshing people be those who are understanding the refreshing that comes through a relationship with God. I know last week it was heavy on the word fresh. Every point had the word fresh in it. And I have heard from probably 15 of y'all this week a little joke about, yeah, I'm refreshed, Josh. Thanks for refreshing, right? I've heard so many comments this week about that. And I appreciate that. And I hope that you remember that Philemon talks about us being that way as well. And I'm okay if y'all have jokes from the sermons. That's all right. Well, today I want to ask the question, do people change? I don't want to really get all emotional or get up in your feels, as you might say. But do people change? You You ever been talking about somebody 
He's a little hard-headed or stubborn and said, he'll never change. Oh, you know, you know how she is. She'll never change. Are you the same as you used to be? Have you improved any? Are you worse now? Are you more cynical now than you used to be? Are you more optimistic now than you used to be? More hopeful? Do people change? You know, if you want to, you can go and get a completely different hair color. A lot of times it'll change your personality. If you go from dark hair to light hair, it might change something about you. You can, if you want to, you can go and have major surgery done and completely change your nose if you want to. You can change the way you dress if you want to. But as I hope you know, those things don't necessarily change you. Who you are on the inside is more important than what you are on the outside or what you look like. And who you are on the, outs- on the inside is way, way, way more indicative of who, of who you actually are, right? I know a lot of pretty people are pretty ugly on the inside. I know a lot of very humble people from humble places are so beautiful and kind on the inside. Who we are is more important than what we are. So I'm asking, do people change? Well, that's a simple question. Of course people change. We're always changing, you might say, but I mean really change. And the Bible talks about it a lot. We have sung songs this morning about the fact that people change. And I want you to hear today that answering do people actually change is a loaded question. But I want you to hear from me today that yes, for sure, matter-of-factly, God changes people. Last night I was sitting at home watching the NBA playoffs. I absolutely love it. I keep, I keep watching all of it. And last night the Warriors played the Pelicans in a late game. And I, I stayed up as late as I could trying to watch that before I fell asleep. And I was texting with a buddy. And we were, we were talking about church this morning. And he says, you know, Josh, I really enjoy being part of the church now. And we had a little moment, a little text conversation. Because he remembers when he didn't like church. Something's changed where he enjoys church now. Something's changed. Well, obviously, it doesn't necessarily mean that God did it, but I want you to know that God does do that. God changes people. And in this story, in the book of Philemon, you have clear pictures of God bringing about change. As we read this story of Philemon today, I want you to be thinking about your story and God working in your life and is your heart being changed by God? Read with me yet again the entire book of Philemon, starting in verse 1. Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Apphia, our sister, and Archippus, 
our fellow soldier and the church in your house. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Accordingly, though, I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required. Yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you, I, Paul, an old man and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly, he was useless to you. But now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. For this, perhaps, is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me. But how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord? So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it to say nothing of your owing me, even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I am hoping that through your prayers I will be graciously given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you, and so do Mark and Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. That's a sweet letter the book of Philemon is. It's one that we've now read as a church three weeks in a row, the entire book of Philemon. We read the whole book, all 25 verses, and one that I think you're starting to get the story of, and that's part of it. That's part of it. More than I can tell you about the story, I want God to just let the story get in your heart and mind and let the Holy Spirit do with it what he will that you would be believing. But in this story, you have the power of God to change people. I want to give you five points. And in these five points, I'm going to use every time the gospel creates. Okay? Now, what I mean by gospel is the good news that Jesus saves. The truths of the good news, that God is holy, number one, that people are sinful, number two, that Jesus is the answer to that problem, number three, and that if you respond by believing and repenting, then you will be saved. That's the gospel. That's the good news. It's the truths of the Bible culminating in the saving message. That's the gospel, okay? And so when I say gospel, I'm meaning the truths that you believe and, and upon the gospel getting inside of you, the saving message of Jesus getting inside of you, the saving power of Jesus getting inside of you, it will change you. God changes you. And as you are understanding the truth of God or God through his truth, you will be changed. And so I'm going to keep saying that, but that's what I mean. Number one, the gospel creates a family. 
The gospel creates a family. In the book of Philemon, you see familial language. In the church, you hear language like we use in the family. Notice what he says here in this story. Look down to verse 10. Now remember the, the, the story, we just read it, but I'll just recap for a second. Paul is in prison because he preaches the gospel, so they have him in prison in Rome. Philemon is a leader in the church in Colossae, and the church even meets in his house on some level. And Onesimus was a, was a servant or a slave, and again, I told you I'll deal with slavery later on in another sermon, but Onesimus was a slave for Philemon. And Onesimus steals from Philemon and flees, runs away, and ends up in Rome where somehow, by the providence of God, meets Paul. I don't know if he was visiting a prison. I don't know if he ended up in prison. I don't know if Paul had a little bit of leave. And so they met when Paul was on, outside of the prison or what. But he heard Paul preaching the gospel and God saved. The gospel entered into Onesimus and God saved Onesimus. So now Paul is discipling Onesimus and teaching him all that it means to be a Christian and he says to him you've got to go back to Philemon you need to apologize, you need to repent, you need to get right and I know Philemon, he's my brother and I will send you back to him with this letter and it'll be all good, God's working in it that's the setting, that's what this story is but I'm telling you number one, the gospel creates a family you look down at verse 10 and listen to what he says I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment Paul's speaking like he's his dad. It's not his dad. He just met the guy, really. So what's he meaning? He's meaning, when he's saying father and child, he's meaning that I'm, I'm older than him. doesn't have to be older than him, but he's like a father to him. He's a father figure. And Onesimus has come to faith in Christ through what Paul's preaching was. And so now he's using this language. There's this mentor relationship. There's this pastor, church person, believer relationship. There is this discipleship relationship. And one of the ways that you could describe that is using family language. You don't always do this, but sometimes we do. We call somebody who is in the faith a brother in Christ. We call somebody a sister in Christ. I was praying last week as 25 ladies from our church went on a retreat together. I prayed that, that I was praying that God would work in those ladies. They would be true sisters. They would grow in the family of God, that they would embrace each other and love each other the way God would want them to. And we use that language. Paul's using it here. He says he became his father, and he's like a son to me. He said, he is my child. He calls him that. But then, that's just talking about Onesimus. So you might think, okay, well, that's just that mentor relationship. We'll bump over to verse um, 20. And now he's talking to Philemon, and he says, yes, brother. It's not his brother. What makes this father-son-brother relationship? Where did that come from? It didn't used to be the case. He hasn't always called Philemon his brother. He has certainly not always called Onesimus his son. Where did that come from? God created that. Number one, the gospel creates a family. The gospel, when it gets into people's lives and changes people, it causes people to unite together and be a family. Now, don't get me wrong. It doesn't mean that you're blood family. There, there is a distinction there. 
And you know, I hope you know, you've been around me enough or around our church. We have a great emphasis on family. We love blood family. God is through and through in his whole word all about the family. God wants dads to be dads that are there and good dads and invested dads. And God wants moms to be there and be invested and be good moms. And God wants husbands to be good husbands and wives to be good wives and kids to be good kids. And family needs to be a good, strong thing. And God is all about that. But as you know, the blood family is not the ultimate. Now, some of you may be from a really good family, and you're still trying to convince yourself that blood family is the ultimate. But I'm here to tell you today, it is not the ultimate. The family that God creates is. The family that God creates is. This is not at all to downplay family. I hope you know how much we love family. I love family. I do a lot of family time. But God creates another family, the people of God. And in the people of God, in the church, God, listen to me, God, and you have this countless times in the scriptures, God is the Father, right? Father God. Jesus prayed, our Father who is in heaven. God is the Father over all of those who are his children. And you've got this family language. Now, as you know, family can be really, really strong. But I've already said, don't buy into thinking that it's the most important. It is important. It's not the most important. The family of God is. Now, we know so, so many times where family has hurt us, or family has let us down, or family has disappointed us, or family is broken, or family is divided, or family drama, or whatever. And I want you to hear today. The gospel coming into your life, Jesus changing your heart, creates a family. I want to ask you here today, have you ever thought about that? Do you embrace other Christians as brothers and sisters in the faith? Do you get that all who bow the knee to Christ, who confess him as Lord, who trust in the saving grace of God, those people have God as their father. Think about the passages that say, which we cry out to God as Abba Father, right? He is the father over us and we are the family. God creates that. Have you thought about the fact that you are in a family? That you're in the family of God? Now, one thing that I was noticing, I thought this was fascinating. I, I have a heart for our church and, and for myself to be investing in, in young people. And I have a heart for our church to be mentoring young men. And I noticed something a, a few years back that I can name many, many, 10, 15 20 young men in the Fairdale area that I have a close relationship with that do not have a dad. Their dad has passed away. They've not known their dad. They don't have a relationship with their dad. Something like that. And I know, I have, a lot, I have a lot of influences on me from unbelievers, listen to me, from unbelievers who say, yeah, well, see, see that's what church is. Church is for those who, who need it. And they're cynical about it. I, I get that. Their, their lives are so together that they don't need God. But for those people that do need God, church is a good option. I get it. But as I thought more and more about that, and as I read more and more about that, I thought, no. 
Sometimes on earth you see some beautiful families, right? And praise God for those family members that are digging deep and working hard on it. Praise God for single parents and praise God for grandparents raising kids and praise God for dads that are there and moms that are there and praise God for aunts and uncles that are stepping in and praise God for all of the the blood family out there that are doing what they can do to strengthen a family. We thank God for that. But it points us to a greater truth. God our Father has a family. Anybody that comes to faith in Christ enters into that family. And gospel creates that. If you're here today, I want you to know that God has entered you into a family by changing your heart and giving you faith in Christ. May you be encouraged by knowing that you're in a family of God. Number one, the gospel creates a family because God is our Father. But number two, the gospel creates purpose in life. The gospel creates purpose in life. I don't know if you need me to convince you of how many people are lethargic these days or how many people are not having purpose or people don't feel fulfilled or they don't know what to do or they have no motivation, but that's a real aspect of life. It always has been, but I want you to know that the gospel overcomes that in our hearts and it creates purpose in us. Look back to verse 11. Paul is writing to Philemon and he brings up Onesimus. And remember, Onesimus is not somebody that Philemon doesn't know. Onesimus is somebody that Philemon knows and has treated him well. He, 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 Philemon was good to Onesimus and Onesimus fled. And so now Philemon has this weird thoughts about where is Onesimus and what's going on with him. And I wonder what's happening and I wonder if he's realized that he wronged me and all of that sort of stuff. Well, look what Paul says in verse 11. Formerly he was useless to you. But now he is indeed useful to you and to me. Now, if you're not careful, obviously you could twist this into making people into an object, right? Useless, useful, you know, using people, you could. But that's not at all what Paul's doing, and let me show you. This name Onesimus, actually a pretty common name, Onesimus, you might see if you have a footnote in your Bible, the name means useful. His name means useful. And I know here in America with our English names, we often don't know what our names mean. I I wonder if you know what your name means today, right? I look around, I think about y'all's names and what they mean. Do, Do you know what your name means? Well, in the Bible, it often tells us what people's names are. Do you remember Abram? Remember Abram early on in the beginning of Genesis? You remember how he was the one that God made the covenant with? Well, that name Abram means exalted father. Awesome name, right? Exalted father. He's going to be this awesome father Abram is. Well, guess what? He couldn't have kids. Abram couldn't have kids, or his wife couldn't have kids. The exalted father Abram had no children. That name kind of stings, doesn't it? doesn't it? That stings. When God made his promise to him and Abram believed his promise in Genesis chapter 15 verse 6, God changed his name from Abram to Abraham. He added in a few more letters. 
Instead of it being Abram, exalted father, he changed his name to Abraham. And you know what Abraham means? The father of a multitude, the father of many, the father of many nations, a multitude of nations. Because what God was doing with Abram was he was taking Abram and he was making his life have purpose. And to piggyback on my first point, he was making his life have purpose by creating the family of God, the spiritual family of God. Now, he did that too through giving him a blood family. But if you know, the story and theme of the Bible at all, the main point is not Abraham's blood family, but the main point is Abraham's spiritual family for anybody that trusts in Christ is a son of Abraham, spiritually speaking. And God changed his name to the father of many, the father of a multitude, a multitude of many nations, the father of many nations. God changed his name to that because what God was doing through the covenant with Abraham was making a family throughout the history of the world, every language, every people, every skin color from every spot on the planet, no matter who you are, where you're from, if you will be saved and forgiven of your sins through the great love of God, you are in the family of Abraham, which is the family of God by the promise, and so therefore he is a father of many nations he changed his name and he gave him purpose well Onesimus his name means useless imagine having a guy whose name is useless but he doesn't work he doesn't do anything good he steals from you and he runs away so Paul speaks up and says well he, he, he was useless just a play on words but now Philemon I want you to understand he is indeed useful Indeed useful. In other words, his name is useful. He said, hey, he really is useful. He really is useful. And Paul is saying, Philemon, listen, man. I know that he did you wrong, but I want you to hear today that something's happened to him. I want you to hear today that he's changed, Philemon. Philemon, I want you to hear today that not only has he changed, because as soon as you hear somebody say that somebody's changed, you think, well, we'll see if somebody's changed, right? Paul goes a little bit further and says, nah, it's not just that he's changed Philemon. God has changed him. I've seen God change him. I watched God change him. I've seen the change in him that God has done. God has brought purpose to this brother's life. And now he's not hiding out in Rome trying to hide from you what he's done, trying to run away from his problems, trying to ignore his issues, trying to get so far away from the wrongs and the people he's hurt and the divisions that he's caused and all the sin in his life. He's not trying to get away from it in hopes that it'll never come up again, which every single one of us have been there and done that before. No, he's going to confess his sins. He's forgiven by God. He's entered into the family of God. And now there is no shame, praise the Lord. For whoever, Romans 10, 11, for whoever believes on the name of Jesus will not be put to shame. Whoever believes in Jesus will not be disappointed. If you will trust in Christ, there is no shame and there is no guilt no matter what you've done. For it is all forgiven by God and you are loved by God and there's nothing that anybody can say. If you've lied before and somebody says you're a liar, you can say, I know I lied, but God forgave me of that. And if you have stolen from somebody and ran away and hidden, Paul says, Philemon, listen to me. God has changed this man, and I'm sending him back to you, and he's going to come back. Proof that he has changed is that he's coming back repentant. And he's coming back with my letter. He's coming back with my stamp of approval. He's coming back with me saying, hey, whatever he owes you, I'll pay it back to you. God has brought purpose to this man's life. He says he is useful to you and to me. And does not the Bible teach us this? 
The Bible teaches us that whether you eat or whether you drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. The Bible says so that whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for man so that God would be glorified in everything you do. The Bible teaches us that it doesn't matter what your job is, whether you're a stay-at-home mom and you just feel worn out all the time, or whether you work all night at UPS and you never get to sleep, or whether your job has you exhausted all day, or you work with people, right, and you're burnt out by how people are all the time. Whatever you're doing, the Bible teaches us that it's not just to help them, it is to help them with an even bigger purpose for the glory of God. And when we start understanding that life has purpose, we start to get our lives. We start to embrace life. We start to say, hey, this isn't my favorite thing, but God's got a plan in it. This happened to Onesimus. And don't be naive, God did this to him. The gospel created purpose in Onesimus' life. And I want to ask you here today, because we're all in a ton of different situations, different spots and different circumstances, right? Is the truths of the gospel that you're embracing creating that purpose in your situation? Are you able to face it head on and say, I wouldn't have wanted it this way, but God's got me. God's going to empower me through it. God's going to help me with it. I'm going to cling to his promises. Number one, the gospel creates a family. Number two, the gospel creates purpose in life. Number three, the gospel creates hope in every situation. The gospel creates hope in every situation. So he's sending this letter with Philemon back, or with Onesimus, back to Philemon. Can you imagine, seriously? Can you imagine if that fellow down the street robbed you of your house? He knew that he, he had been watching you and he saw that you just rolled through the bank, it was payday, and you got all that money out of the bank, and let's just say it was in your glove box. By the way, don't keep your money in a glove box. But let's just say that it was, and he knew you did. So about, about midnight, you're at home asleep, and he just comes and breaks in the car and gets in there and steals your money. It happens. It happens, right? Can you imagine if he fled from you, and I was down here at the ball field, and we ran into each other, and he became a Christian, and I called you up? Hey, you know a fellow lives down the street from you and stole all that money out of your car? Well, hey, he's about to come over to your house. I want you to hug him and welcome him. I'm telling you, he's a good guy. How well would that go? Paul believes with full hope Philemon's going to take him back. You want to be challenged here today. Read this story the way God wants you to read this story. Paul says, man, I'm telling you, he has changed. He's now in the family of God. His life now has purpose. And I am believing Philemon that you're going to accept him back. Now, I'm not asking you to be some blind fool and do something dumb, and Paul's not asking Philemon either. He's just saying, this guy's changed. He's broken of what he's doing. He's going to repay back his debt. We're going to fix the situation. He's going to ask you to forgive him. He's going to earn it back. He's going to prove to you that he hates what he did, and he's ready to come back and restore the relationship. I'm not asking you to do something stupid. I'm talking about God changes the person, and the 
flawed relationship can be healed. This happens in Christianity. The gospel does this. God changes lives. I hope you've got some former enemies in your life. I'm serious. I hope there's been somebody that found out you were talking behind their back. I hope there's been somebody that's talked bad behind your back. I hope there's somebody that's stolen from you or somebody that's done something to you or somebody that's egged your car or somebody that did something to you that made you so mad and somewhere along the way you went to them or they went to you or you wrote a letter or they wrote a letter and somehow the power of God healed it. Because this happens in the Bible. If it's not happening here, then there's a problem with us. God does this. God fixes relationships. God heals. God brings hope. I know it sounds crazy, but he's writing, hey, Philemon, you ain't going to believe who I just met in prison. Onesimus. And man, we're such good Christians. Man, we would never do something like that. I mean, this, this bum, he's trying to tell me he's changed now. And I just want you to know, if he ever comes back around, I want you to know I met him over in prison. And you better not. No. He is hopeful that Philemon will receive him back. Y'all, the only way to explain this type of stuff is the power of God. And I don't know if you believe in it or not, but I do because the Bible says God does it. God does this. And may you believe him. Believe God's promises. Look at verse 15. Paul says, I'm sorry, verse 14. But I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. He knows Philemon so well. He says, man, I know you're such a good guy that when you understand this gospel work in his heart, I know you'll take him back. Verse 15, for this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever. Paul believes that Philemon believes that God does stuff like this. Haven't we read story after story after story where God's working in ways that we would not have thought? Don't you remember when Joseph's brothers sold him to Egypt to have him killed, to get away with him, to just ruin his life so that they would have the good life? And don't you remember when God twisted that on its head completely and the brothers end up in Egypt starving to death and the very person they have to beg to for food is their brother? And don't you remember how they doubted the gospel and so they were scared and they thought he was going to kill them and they thought he was going to reject them and they thought he's never going to feed us and no way, I, I, I hope he doesn't know that it's us. And don't you remember when Joseph says, with tears, I forgive y'all. Y'all, God had a plan bigger than y'all's plan. Brothers, what you meant for evil against me, my God meant for good for me. I'm not mad at y'all. Come on, let me feed you. Where's our dad? I've missed him for years. Where's our dad? Let the gospel bring some more healing to this family. Eleven brothers, come on in. Let me take care of you. Where's our dad? You think your, you think your stuff's going to mess my life up when I have a God that's going to take care of me? Do you understand that I've got hope bigger than your problems? Or bigger than your problems that you put into my life? 
Joseph says no. He's hopeful. The gospel creates that. Paul is hopeful that Philemon will believe the gospel and accept that Jesus is changing Onesimus. Douglas Moo writes, all of our circumstances have a divine purpose. All of our circumstances have a divine purpose. God has a purpose in our circumstances. Do you believe that? If you've ever read Pilgrim's Progress, which many of you just read last month here at our church, Christian has that good friend Faithful, but if I'm recalling the story right, Faithful dies. You know who God brings along to lonely Christian? Hopeful. Hopeful. And against the circumstances, he has hope. And that encourages Christian. And against the circumstances, Paul has hope. And that should encourage Philemon. And he should accept back Onesimus. The gospel creates a family. The gospel creates purpose in life. The gospel creates hope in every situation. Number four, the gospel creates, this is very similar to my first point, family, but I want it to be different. The gospel creates deep, sincere Loving relationships. I want you to be challenged by this. It creates it. Look at verse 12. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. You know anybody right now that's ran away from home, got so much baggage? You ever welcomed him in and called him your heart? You ever heard one of those things that a friend is somebody that knows everything about you and still loves you? You ever heard those type of quotes before? Hey, y'all, none of us are perfect. None of us have such clean lives that people are flocking to us to be our friend. None of us can handle stress and burden and problems and, and, and issues and sin so well that we're just always pleasant to be around. None of us. Despite that, Jesus, the gospel in us, creates deep, sincere, loving relationships that are stronger than those things, deeper than those things, will go beyond those things, will know those things and still work through it. In verse 12, he says, I'm sending my very heart. Look at verse 13. I would have been glad to keep him with me. Paul loves Onesimus. In order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. Paul loves him. But Paul knows for as much as it will be sweet to keep that relationship with Onesimus. Listen to this. Paul knows that it will be even more sweet for the church at Colossae to see this. Imagine what it's going to do when Philemon welcomes back his enemy that's wronged him. And says, man, it's so good to see you. Do you remember the awesome, awesome parable that Jesus tells about the prodigal son? Do you remember the son before the dad is dead asking for the inheritance? Do you remember the dad giving it to him? 
You remember him running off, and the Bible says with, with women and with partying and all this. He just lives it up, and the Bible says he squanders all of his wealth, and before long, he has nothing, and life is just miserable. And the Bible says that he is taking care of pigs in a pig pen, and he's so desperate and so hungry that he's longing to eat the food that the pigs eat. What a bad spot to be in. Do you remember how the rest of the story goes? He finally says, I got to go back home. I got to go back to my father. And then he's scared. He's nervous. And, and, and oh, for grace, he's hesitant. He's hesitant to go back to his father because he's not understanding the father. And so he's trying to come up with an awesome speech to try to win his dad back. Well, his dad is God. Y'all, you don't have to have a good speech. You don't have to get it together. You got to believe your dad. You got to believe the one who is the father of the family. And when he comes back, the Bible says he's way out there and the father's looking for him, jumps down and runs to his son. Deep. Sincere, loving relationships come from the gospel. In verse 16, look what he says. Take him back no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but much more to you. How much more to you? Both in the flesh and in the Lord. Paul believes that what is an ugly, ugly situation and we've all got some ugly situations. What is an ugly situation? Paul believes that the gospel being the center of Paul's life, the center of Philemon's life, and the life-changing difference in Onesimus' life, Paul believes taking back with a new, awesome, fresh, beloved brother. There is no explanation for that. The world doesn't grasp it. The world doesn't get true forgiveness. It doesn't get mercy. It doesn't get grace. It doesn't understand why we do the things we do. It doesn't fully believe in second chances, third chances, fourth chances. It doesn't doesn't get that but the Bible teaches us with the way that God loves people like us he creates loving sincere deep relationships that's why this book of Philemon is so awesome the gospel creates a family it creates purpose in life it creates hope in every situation the gospel creates deep sincere loving relationships and then lastly what's driving every bit of that the gospel creates bold lives of faith. If we're too worried about what they're going to think in forgiving somebody that steals from you, then we're not believing the power of the gospel to change somebody. If we're too worried about being friends with him or her because of what that's going to mean or how that's going to make us look, then we're not believing the promises of God and the power of the gospel to change lives. But when your hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness, and so you therefore understand that God puts his nothing less Jesus' blood and righteousness hope in other people and therefore he does change people, then you will be bold as bold can be to walk by faith, not by sight. 
I know this looks like a mess, doesn't it? But God is in the midst of it. I know this looks like we shouldn't be getting along, but God is in the midst of it. I know this looks like I should be never speaking to you again, but God is in the midst of it. I know this looks like I should never trust you ever again, but God is in the midst of it. I know that this looks like, listen to me, I know that this looks like Onesimus needs to stay away from that church forever. But God is in the midst of it. And since he is, they are believing him. They are believing the promises of God. Look at verse 8. Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ. Now remember, Paul's an apostle. And so what he's saying here is, I, I could go the authority route, but listen, y'all, Christianity like never wants to do that. Christianity is almost always appealing to the higher moral law that is love. I'm bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required. Listen, Philemon, this is the Apostle Paul, and I'm in prison. I got my guy Onesimus here. I know he's wronged you, but I'm telling you right now, by the power of Jesus, who I know as an apostle, you accept him back. Could have done that, but he doesn't do that. He doesn't. He says, verse 9, y'all get this terminology in your gospel-changed heart, yet for love's sake. Guys, I want us to learn this. For love's sake. For love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man, now a prisoner, also for Christ Jesus. In other words, what he's saying is, y'all, this Jesus changes life. Things real, man. I got my whole life staked on it. I'm in prison because of it. He's taking care of me. And I, for love's sake, I appeal to you for my child, Onesimus. Paul is saying, I believe wholeheartedly that God changed your heart, Philemon. God changed me. And he's now changed Onesimus. And we need to understand that. Look at verse 17. This bold faith from Paul. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it to say nothing of your owing me, even yourself. In other words, Paul led him to Christ too. Yes, brother, I want you. I want some benefit from you and the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Paul is so bold there. I've got so many situations in my life, personally, knowing y'all's lives, personally, where I'm thinking, man, that, that's so bad. I, I don't know about that. I don't, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to fix it. Paul says, for love's sake, by the power of the gospel, believe God's promises. Don't act on what it looks like. Act on the heart of what God tells you. Believe what God says. God will not let you down. God will not fail us. Do people change? God changes people. Get this. Onesimus had a debt. Paul writes to Philemon, welcome him 
receive him back, we'll deal with the debt. You and me have a debt. We have a debt before our maker, God Almighty, that we've not lived our lives the way we ought to. We've not worshipped God always. We've not always honored him. We've not had him first. And his son Jesus comes and dies on the cross for us and says, Father, welcome them back because I'm going to take care of everything they owe you. When Jesus died on the cross, he was reconciling the world to God. When Jesus became our sin, he was dealing with our debt. When Jesus rose again, he had paid off our debt. And when Jesus, listened to me, sat down at the right hand of God the Father, he is constantly in God's ear saying, I've taken care of it. I've taken care of it. I've taken care of it. For all of those who hope in Christ, they are forgiven of their sins. They are welcomed in the love of God. The gospel does that. If you're here today and you've never believed in the power of God to change somebody, if you're here today and, you've ne- and you know that God's never changed you, then I ask you, I beg you, I urge you to trust in Christ. Go all out today and say, I want to believe against what it would look like. I want to believe. I want to believe God will save me of my sins, forgive me of my sins, and change my heart. The book of Philemon is a short story, but it is loaded with the power of God to change us. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you that we have stories and testimonies and pictures of what you're doing. And God, I know sometimes it looks crazy, but you're real and you're working. Father, may it be true of us that you have changed our hearts and changed our lives. Father God, give us faith to believe in you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.